Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. Now, many times through this series I've made reference to something called the dollar, but I've not really gone into any much detail on that. However, I've got just the man for doing that. Justin, thank you for coming on Brokenomics. Hi Dan, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, looking forward to our chat, a lot to unpack. So Excellent. Uh, yeah. And you've, you've been writing on the dollar for a while now. Uh, where, where can people find your, your writings? Yes, most of my writing is on Substack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I write there quite a lot. So yeah, I've got a lot of uh, articles on political, political economy, history, economics, a lot of things really. So that's where all my work on the dollar is. And if you want to refer back to anything uh, in this conversation, that would be the best place. Excellent. And, and your, your Twitter handle is the, the, the Nomad, is it? Yes, that's right. My daily frustrations with modernity can be mm. found there. Obviously, I promote my uh, Substack articles to and um yeah that's uh yeah that's right yeah excellent so mm. so to kick us off on the dollar um perhaps i can read one of the opening paragraphs to sort of just give us a give us a, a sense for going into it sure um you're right the united states is the dominant superpower in the world today a position it has held since the end of world war ii united states gross domestic product is the world's largest currently standing at 26 trillion annually compared with the world GDP of 105 trillion, so a substantial proportion of, mm. of world GDP. It has assembled the most formidable military in recorded human history, with approximately 750 military bases across the world. Meanwhile, the US is able to consume energy and resources at an unimaginable scale, despite being only 4% of the world's population. That's right. So they're certainly punching above their weight then. Yes, that's right. I think um, my writing tries to advance the idea that the American empire is predicated on what I have come to call the dollar system. And by that, I mean the United States, its grip on the monetary system, which really revolves around the US dollar's position as the world reserve currency. Were it not for the dollar system, uh, the American empire would be uh, very different to what yes. it is today. And a lot of those uh, numbers you read out, um, some of which really defy any kind of meaningful comparison, really, when we get to the, the budget deficit and the trade deficit and mm. military expenditures. But the main point is, is that all of this is made possible by the dollar system and the position of the US dollar in the global yes. economy. Well, there's mm. this idea, isn't there, of, of American exceptionalism, and, mm. and I'm sure they are, or have been, um, somewhat exceptional, but but not that much. Yes, that's right. That's uh, a point I make in uh, the article in the Empire of Dollars. American exceptionalism, uh, it's a bit of a fluffy term, you know, it uh, has different definitions, but it's something that says that Americans are you know, hardworking and patriotic, but they're also creative and innovative. And uh, this is the reason why uh, the US economy is so successful mm. and uh, whatnot. However, that is not the reason why uh, the US is the uncontested global hegemonic superpower. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there is some truth in that. I mean, ha they have historically worked quite hard, not quite as much as, as some people's around the world in terms mm. of hours they put in. Um, innovation, that, that bit is genuine, I'd say. Mm. Um, you know, and in, in fact, actually, that's the only metric by which the US is really still leading, mm. um, right, is, yeah. is, is the innovation rates. Mm. Um, you know, they've got that. So, I mean, I did, I did a Brokenomics on, on Japan not that long ago, and they were 
Uh, they really shined when it comes to electrical engineering, mm. um, and and they had a sort of strong period there. But what that what they did not adapt to well was software, and that's something, of course, the Americans do seem to to adapt have to done quite very well. well yes. So they, they do have legitimate advantages, and they do have as a continental landmass, of course, um, a great starting position. Yes, um, if, yeah. if this was a game of civilization, they, they've got a great starting position. Mm. They've got energy, and they've got um, you know. Um, no enemies on the borders. They've got good agricultural land. Very and all difficult that kind of to stuff. penetrate. You yeah. Know, uh, from so they, they genuinely yeah. have a lot going for them, mm. um, but it doesn't account for the share of transactions, the share of energy, and all the rest of it that they mm. actually command. Yes, that's right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Some certain aspects of American industry, like you say, innovation, um, mm. are very impressive. But uh, by my reading, the main the primary reason why the U.S. is the global superpower today is that the United States can print, borrow, issue and spend its own currency in international markets without uh, suffering from mass sort of hyperinflation and a complete mm. collapse of uh, the economy. Other countries simply cannot do this. They have to operate with restraint and more discipline in uh, monetary uh, affairs and if you if the US didn't have uh, control of the monetary system, then it would have to fundamentally alter its tax, its debt, uh, its spending, and its uh, energy policies. Mm. Many of which are you know, incredibly sort of imbalanced. But again, these structural imbalances are sustainable as long as essentially the US can sort of just print the dollar by decree at will, and uh, that's. Yeah, that's basically the system we have. Uh, yeah, it, it, it sounds like you, a, you agree with my my sort of take that it it is it, a bit difficult to to tell um, with the US dollar and the US military. Mm. A bit like the chicken and the egg, which one which one came first? Yes, yeah. Um, I, I suppose I suppose it probably was the military, but it, mm. it 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 is the it is the dollar that I do think is their central super weapon. It's not the nukes. It's not the aircraft carriers. Yeah. It's the dollar. That's the center of gravity. For, for the US empire, really. I mean, we recognize America as a military, uh, industrial, uh, cultural, uh, economic superpower, and, and that's, that's completely correct. But a lot of this is predicated on top of uh, the dollar and the fact that the US, uh, that the US dollar is, you know, of course, is the world reserve um, currency naturally if the dollar lost its central position in the global economy, American influence in these spheres would naturally diminish uh, as a result. Perhaps quite yeah. considerably. Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, that's um, that's an idea. Yeah, I mean, st still in the introduction, you go on to say the US dollar is used in around 85% of foreign exchange transactions worldwide. That's right, yeah. Over 59% of foreign currency reserves held by other central banks are in dollars. It is estimated that at least 90% of world trade takes mm. place in dollars. Yes, that's right. So the main component of the dollar system is that the US dollar is the world reserve currency. So what that means is, is that uh, it's the currency, it's the strongest currency. It has, uh, it's the most liquid, um, most uh, traded currency around. So organisations, manufacturers, suppliers... And even sovereign governments choose to settle their payments predominantly in US dollars. So the US dollar is the currency of choice for mm. goods, 
services, trade, travel, assets, investments, mm. commodities, oil, and um, you know from here and this this makes it the most the strongest and most liquid currency uh, available, uh, far more so than than any yeah. other currency. But of course, uh, at that, that sort of level is ninety percent of world trade taking place in dollars. I mean, we're talking about you know South Africa wants to sell something to brazil exactly yeah um, that's absolutely right yeah, yeah that's a very good point yeah so uh, south africa is selling uh some sort of commodity to brazil or mm. i don't know an indian software company is providing backup services to a company in argentina well uh the argentine peso the indian rupee tends to is not used in the mm. transaction they uh, pay each other in u in us dollars that's because there's only a certain amount of demand, sometimes called effective yeah. demand, for uh, the peso or the rupee. They're, you, they're not as freely tradable yeah. as the US dollar. And, uh, and yeah, that's for well, layman's, that's quite yeah. an important I mean, I mean thing this, this came up recently with um, Saudi Arabia. With, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, Saudi Arabia is incentivized post... Cause, we, we, we had the we had the Russian situation where Russia upset the US, and so they decided they were just going to take all of their their reserve assets, mm. uh, and that sent everybody around the world thinking, okay, well, I would like to be able to find an alternative uh, because I might do something that upsets the US one day, yes, um, and yeah. then it, then it could happen to me, and so India then got itself into this situation where it was having this discussion with Saudi Arabia, saying, can mm. we pay for oil? in in rupees mm. and the stumbling block is of course that saudi arabia turns around and says well okay so i sell you i give you a whole bunch of oil i've now got a whole bunch of rupees what what do i do with them right what, yeah. what, what am i going to do with all of these rupees yes that's right that's a um a problem uh, that exists in the global economy really there's a finite amount of demand for uh currencies outside of really the dollar the euro, a few other European ones, some of the East Asian ones as well. Um, again, effective demand means that these other currencies, especially from the global south, are not as freely mm. tradable as the US dollar. The dollar is a medium of exchange, a store of value, um, in a way that few other currencies um, are. Now, Saudi Arabia might uh, be able to use mm. a, a few of those rupees, perhaps for other services, but uh, do you want to constantly be trading in uh, pesos, rupias, uh, Brazilian mm. reals, or or other currencies? Where, where's well, the, whereas bit... the US dollar is, is basically a sort of universal currency. Mm. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's you know, uh, Sa Saudi Arabia. Once it's got those dollars, what can mm. it do with them? Well, pretty much anything it wants. Yes, absolutely. Whereas if it's got rupees, it's like, well, okay, I'm going to have to go and buy something mm. denominated in rupees, which is going to be. What, investment into India? Uh, yes, it, it, this is the yeah. problem, yeah, really. Um, other countries will not have, if they don't, in this, in your example, they don't have a lot of trade with India, then there's yeah. no need to hold rupees. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so this is uh, uh, this is where the US dollar is, uh, you know, again, the most strongest, most liquid yes. currency uh, available. Of course, currencies in the global south, whilst they've made great economic strides mm. and they have impressive industries of their own, natural resources, uh, minerals, commodities. Their currencies aren't as stable as, you know, the dollar, as mm. uh, the euro perhaps. And, uh, you know, they're subject to a lot more volatility, commodity chocks, for mm. example. So, you know, countries aren't going to 
have their wealth in these sort of in these currencies really mm. so that's again what um, but I think the important thing is I, I call it the dollar system because you know that that's what it is it isn't just a, a unit of currency it's mm. many things that sort of form mm. part of a self-reinforcing cycle of uh, you know monetary uh, sort of power so M many layers that have got us mm. to this point well, that, well that, that brings me to um you know one of the first sections in your article you talked about Bretton Woods and the Nixon shock so again mm. um your, your words here the first of these is the Bretton Woods conference of 1944 where the US dollar was made the world's reserve currency that meant the dollar would be the principal medium of exchange in international trade and finance mm. the second occurred in 1971 when President Richard Nixon removed the dollar's link to gold unilaterally ending the convertibility to overseas, over, for overseas dollars into gold, therefore removing the last constraint on money creation. That's correct. So, so tell us about this. Let's, let's start with Bretton Woods. I mean, each of these, we, we could do a brokenomics on them just on just those topics. That's just but, it, isn't it? Yeah. Petrodollar, Bretton Woods, US Treasuries, well, what, you could do. What, 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 what's the short version of Bretton Woods? Right, so as World War II was coming to a close, um, allies from 44 countries met together at uh, Bretton Woods in New Hampshire at the Mount Washington Hotel to basically build uh, a new international system for trade and finance. And it was decided that the US dollar would be uh, the central currency and that's where it gained its status as the world reserve currency. And it mm. uh, hasn't vacated that position since really at Bretton Woods, American power was formalized in the eyes of the world and this is why it's such a important sort of event i mean america was the world's foremost industrial military and economic mm. power at the time it had two-thirds of the world's gold the rest of yes. uh, the remainder mainly lie lay with the soviet union so um the, the way i tend to sort of glibly <clears throat> cover that area of, of, of history is that after yeah. after the second world war america found itself with all of the gold mm. because they were either a safe haven or they were the only functional economy absolutely um, and, yeah. and they were sort of basically of the view that they wanted to keep it yes so yeah. so they, they they wanted to tell everybody that dollars were exactly as good as gold yes yeah um so, gold. so we get into that point but the the the, the important thing for me the Bretton woods is that um they promised to protect international shipping so that was that was a key part mm. of the promise we will protect international trade if international trade is done in dollars. Yes. Yeah. So when you see, for example, that Houthi situation that we've got going on the in the Red Sea at the moment, yeah, um, it is, it is, it is the the British sent uh, a ship. It's not actually the British's job to do that anymore. Mm. Uh, there might have been a time, but but now it is literally the US's job to protect international shipping routes. That's mm. why we use the dollar as, as, as international currency. Mm. And the thing that I found most interesting from that is that lots of ships are now registering them, re-registering themselves as Chinese because yeah, the Chinese yeah. policy of not intervening around the world mm. makes them less of a target. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. The, so the Chinese system is offering a superior uh, protection system to the US because mm. the punishment for not for the punishment for upsetting the Chinese is they won't trade with you and everybody kind of wants to mm, everybody needs to trade with China yes yeah. that's quite interesting I didn't I, I hadn't picked up on that actually but mm. um, you're, you're definitely right when you say yeah the main shipping routes throughout mm. the world the main choke points so you know 
uh, Suez, uh, the Strait of Hormuz, mm. uh, the South China Sea. Yeah, most of these are um, defended by yeah. uh, the US because world trade runs on dollars. And the problem yes. for Washington, if world trade stops, then trade yes. in the dollar well, does. And then we've got uh, a whole series, a cascading uh, series of economic uh, effects, collateral yes. effects that come from that. And yes, you're right, that explains the situation um, with the Houthi rebels. Well, and of course, and, uh, the flip side of it is, is not just that they are guaranteeing trade, mm. uh, but also they can interdict trade that they that they don't approve of. Yes. Because if you control the seas, if you control the shipping lanes, mm. you can make sure that certain trade does not happen, embargoes yeah. can take place. Yeah. There are many embargoes in place at the moment, most notably on Iran mm. uh, yeah. and North Korea, but there, mm. but there are many, many others mm. if you go down the list. Um, so the US is... is, is is not just securing trade; it is also preventing trade as well. It, so it is it is shaping the world in a way that it wants. The interesting thing yeah. for me on this, though, is that um, you know I ask myself the question: How does the U.S. interdict a, a, a freight shipment travelling from rail between Russia and China? Mm. Well, it Much doesn't. harder to do that. Yeah. Much, Much harder, harder to, to do, do that. that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, you know they might be able to do it, but only at significant. Um, you know, uh, with a significant to, military in mm, intervention, yes. Mm. So um, we, we we could be moving to a world where Eurasia, mm. um, you know, the the the, the right hand side of Europe and and much of Asia, Southeast Asia, mm. um, and, and so on, um, is, is moving out of the orbit of the US. Well, well, of course, another big development in the geopolitical arena from China is the Belt and Road mm. Initiative. So this is where China's trying to um, sort of build uh, really a worldwide uh, on land and sea kind of infrastructure for uh, Chinese trade to uh, to fac facilitate mm. Chinese trade, presumably independent of, you know, the, the protection racket from the United mm. States, which probably a lot of people feel exacts uh, a bit too much privilege and too many benefits and too much uh, autonomy in um, trade and in uh, world affairs more generally and by the same token you know unfortunately the ironic thing is for us Brits is they're sort of taking over a lot of uh, the British sort of ports in you know Burma you know Bangladesh the Bay of yes. Bengal uh, as well and they're kind of trying to sort of circumvent India and uh, so they're, you know, mm. uh, they're doing th that alongside the the overland one. Now there's lots of issues. There's lots of uh, they've run into a, a lot of uh, issues, but that's ongoing um, too. But yes, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, the United States is uh, technically it's the only country that can project power from anywhere in the world. Its mm. fleet is. Um, uh, is formidable. I think they're replacing the Nimitz class of carriers with an upgraded one called the um, the Gerald Ford class of uh, naval carriers. But uh, even though the, the Nimitz class is far superior to anything that Russia has and uh, China has, I think even if you add all the naval carriers uh, up combined, the United States still has still has many more. But, uh, but again, they can do this because, you know, the dollar is mm. the world reserve currency. And if they need, um, you know, they need funds for research, for development, for yes. innovation, uh, they can do this a lot easier than uh, other um, countries. So, so it comes back around to the same sort of, uh, yeah.
So, so Bretton Woods is when they make the promise that, trust us, the dollar is as good as gold. Absolutely, yeah. Tell us what happened in 1971 with the Nixon shock. Having made this promise that the dollar is definitely, definitely as good as gold. Yes, yeah, so the two main components uh, of the US dollar, not the dollar system, is uh, the fact that it's the world reserve currency. And the second, as I explain, is that after 1971, it effectively became a floating uh, fiat currency. That means it was backed by nothing apart from trust and faith in the dollar. So pre-1971, it mm. was backed by gold, as was promised by the Bretton Woods Agreement. Yes, absolutely. And after 1971, Nixon basically just decided, no. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, your um, Brokenomics episode on 71 was uh, very good. I'd encourage people to go and watch that. But yeah, before 71, what happened was is that um, dollars were ex could be exchanged for gold at a fixed rate of 35 US dollars per troy ounce. That's where um, the phrase as good as gold uh, comes from because the dollar could quite literally be traded on demand for gold mm. if signatory countries felt that the system was in jeopardy or if they, uh, um, you know, if they had issues with uh, what was going on. But the problem is, for a number of reasons, the US was basically printing too many dollars, far more dollars than they had in gold, and gold mining was quite slow, quite porous at the time, uh, mainly owing to the Vietnam War, but also Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, uh, the Cold War as well, mm. the space race, the arms race. So basically, the long and short of it is, effectively, the Bretton Woods system sort of gradually uh, fell apart, and in 1971... Yes. Uh, the Nixon administration basically, they unilaterally, as I say, abolished convertibility of overseas dollars uh, into gold. And as you rightly say, there's uh, nothing more permanent than a temporary government policy. And uh, yes, it was supposed to be a temporary is, measure, um, wasn't it? Yes. But uh, yeah, so that's that kind of, if in a way, that basically sort of rescued uh, the dollar because mm. at the time inflation was high, unemployment. Yes. was high and it was a very um, unstable period in uh, and And essentially the US was, was spending more than it should be able to mm. um, and rather than cut spending, yeah. it, 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 just, it just pulled a fast one. Exactly, they just relieved themselves of their obligations altogether. The Bretton Woods system was over and, uh, you know, as I certainly believe, Nixon basically ushered in the birth of the modern world and uh, remade yeah. the world economy uh, forever. Because in terms of monetary affairs, if we talk about post-World War II, there is no more significant event yes. than uh, the end of the gold standard, the Nixon Well, there almost shock. certainly wouldn't be a Brokenomic series if we were still on a hard money standard, because mm. um, when governments spent too much, they would be forced to then spend less and, and things would correct themselves. Mm. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.